Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric Margaret over there. That's Vanessa Williams over there. Hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Young. Today we are talking noir films. I saw that other places were talking noir vember and stuff like that, and I wanted to get in on the action, and I kind of left this open so that we could go neo-noir or horror noir or future noir. I mean, if somebody wanted to choose Blade Runner, I would have been totally fine with that, or... Mm-hmm. I thought now that, you tell me. Well, I thought <laughs> Eric might get clever and pick Dark City or something like that. I, I did actually consider Dark I City for you a might. little bit. I was like, he's going to pick Dark but City. But then I wanted to, I, was like, well, I want to watch something I haven't seen. Let's find something I haven't seen. That's cool, really cool. Good. Well, I can't wait to get into all of that stuff. But before we do that, why don't we talk about the stuff we have seen in the last week or so? I saw, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that, it was called, Let It Snow on Netflix. Um, it's a Christmas movie? It's a Christmas okay. movie. It came on. I was like, well, well may as well. I mean, I'm not going to play Christmas music right now, but I can I can watch a Christmas movie. It'll be fine. Um, and I think it was a little bit of a response to all the horror that I'd just been throwing myself into for weeks and weeks on end. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It's kind of a knockoff of Love Actually, but with kids, not kids, with teens. What? Yeah. Is this a new movie? Really? Yeah, it's brand new. I've never yeah. heard of it. It's like okay. a Netflix original. Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's uh, one of the stars. So it's a, it's a, what's it called? A bunch of different people who are in a- An film. ensemble Thank cast. you. Ensemble. It's an ensemble <laughs> cast. A gaggle? And a, a gaggle of actors. <laughs> um, and the, one of the- A, a plethora? A plethora <laughs> of talents. A murder? No. Cornucopia? No. <laughs> <laughs> I would do cornucopia. And one of the actors actually is the guy who voices Miles Morales and Spider-Man. The amazing Spider-Man. Hmm. I feel like I should know who that is and I can't. I can't remember his, his name. name off the top of my head either. Okay. But he was, yeah, he was really fun to kind of watch in a live action role. So that was exciting. Um, it actually was a good movie. And I will argue that as a story, it's better than Love Actually. Because hmm. okay. Love Actually is a mess. It's a train wreck. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I thought it was garbage. And I was like, I don't know why people like this movie. This is a fucking horrible, horrible movie. Um, and, uh, and it grew on me because, you know, I don't have a heart of coal. As, although it might start off that way I melted to it eventually but uh, this movie actually it starts off pretty good um, it's got um, Joan Cusack in it oh, which is oh, nice. always neat to see her yeah. a bunch of like um, other teen talents from various projects they like I didn't know who any of these people were but as I looked them up they all had been in like some big thing or another so hmm. it was it was fun though it was a fun movie okay yeah nice I saw something um diametrically opposed to that film I guess <laughs> a, uh, Fourth a new of July film <laughs> Independence Day a new independent vampire film called Bliss oh okay have you guys I think I sent Sounds you the trailer familiar. 
Hmm. Um, it is some hardcore shit. It's directed oh, by yeah. Joe Begas, who did uh, Almost Human a couple years ago, which oh, was kind yeah. of a cool movie. And he's got my most anticipated film of the year coming up called VFW. Are you guys familiar with this at all? You've mentioned, I've seen you mention or link yeah or i'm about just it. dying to see know. this it's got uh stephen lang and martin cove and william sadler and fred williamson stephen lang stephen lang not not our stephen lang <laughs> oh, the actor okay. stephen Darn. lang what was the junk bucket no from what was the movie with the kids that break into the blind man's house oh um d- uh lights out or no don't no. don't don't breathe. don't breathe don't yeah. breathe dark something yeah anyway um it's all part of that that movie is about a bunch of old vets at a VFW hall and some girl comes running in. She's being chased by like these drug-addled mutants or something and they basically barricade the doors and now it's a siege movie with these guys. And and I was just like, fuck, I cannot wait for that. Anyhow, the movie that is out right now is called Bliss and I'm not sure, (laughs) not sure how much I liked it, but I Mm. did like it. It, it takes a while to get going, but it is never slow. It is about a um, painter, a woman who is, I would say she's, I don't know if she's a drug addict, but she sure likes her cocaine. <laughs> she does. She just likes a, the smell of cocaine. What do you mean? She does a concerning <laughs> amount of cocaine in this movie. And most of it takes place in this first party where she is also introduced to something called bliss, which looks a lot like cocaine and is administered the same way, except it's black. Oh. And she starts having some really crazy fucking visions on this, and then she starts painting some really cool shit, and then she starts jonesing for this stuff more and more, and that leads her to actually start becoming very violent and very powerful and very thirsty if you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and so it, it turns into basically the story of her turning into a vampire and she's trying to figure out why and it's got to be somehow connected to this bliss drug that she took <laughs> and she's you know it could have gone a certain way and it didn't it basically decided to be a movie about addiction and painting <laughs> oh sure okay. you don't we don't get enough of those it's um it's got a very similar color palette to say uh, Mandy or something like that. Oh, a lot of reds cool. and purples in this nice. thing, and a yeah. lot of really bold decisions in like shooting an entire scene in a bar, and the only light is red light. Oh, weird. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but it it totally worked for me. It's got kind of a abrupt ending, but it's still. It still worked for me, and I kind of thought that maybe that's where it was going to go, and it did go there, and so that's always a little bit of a disappointment, but overall, I enjoyed it. It's it's definitely not your typical vampire movie, but when, when the vampire stuff kicks in, it kicks in hard. Where do you, where do you get access to this? Uh, you can get it on Prime, and oh. uh, well, you'll have to rent it. But, oh, but it is. I don't think it's. I'm not going to say it's not worth a rental because I, I rented it and I liked it. Okay, so very cool. Always nice. I got one I watched, kind of thinking it might be my choice for this week, but it ended up being not so much. <laughs> um, 1946's Shock, hmm. which is uh, probably best known because Vincent Price is one of the. He's not the lead, but he's probably like a secondary lead. 
That's mm. one of his earlier films. Yeah. Where he was still trying to be a... Before he got typecast, I guess you could say. Right. He's a handsome young man. Yeah, he plays kind of a weenie character almost mm. in this one where he's constantly... His fiance witnesses... Or no, excuse me. He is witnessed by a lady killing his wife. At least that's what you think. He's Vincent Price's character has killed his wife. Mm. And he spent a lot of the time sort of defending himself. It starts off good. It's fun. Vincent Price is always fun to see because, you know, he's Vincent. He's still got the voice, even though in this one his voice is um, not quite as mature or seasoned, I guess, as you would say when you think of the sound of Vincent Price talking. It's not quite there in this film. But he is, it is a really strong example of uh, gaslighting because basically he is, uh, Vincent Price plays a psychologist who finds out when he is called by this lady's husband when he shows up and finds her hysterical, the maitre d' of the hotel comes up. Well, we have one of the greatest psychologists in our area staying in this hotel right now. And, of course, you know, Vincent Price shows up. How convenient. Yes. Mm. Oh. So he takes her back to his uh, hospital area and starts convincing her that what she saw wasn't real. She's gone crazy and is making this stuff up. And it's a, it's pretty rough on that. He's, he's using hypnosis and drugs and stuff to make her more pliable gives false diagnoses that keeps her locked up and the uh, husband starts talking to other doctors and the doctor's like, he, what? He's doing what? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's got some great scenes. There's a great bit when there's thunder and lightning that sends one of the other patients in the asylum uh, incredibly violent. Mm -hmm. And of course he attacks her, <laughs> which you know leads to more problems of her being now injured and stuff like that. Asylum. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. <laughs> as the movie goes on though he does become more vincent he gets not, he gets a little meaner and he starts to get a little bit more of what you're used to seeing out of vincent price where it's like it's kind of being getting a little scary now hmm. and um basically the pro it just kind of it's a good film vincent price of course is good in it turns out it's a there's stuff going on around behind the scenes that you're not quite sure about that you realize later as the moon as the movie develops it was just overall this was kind of a even though you know it's a 46 film or whatever so it's it's short mm -hmm. it felt long it's like okay hmm. let's let's move this forward all right okay i'm, I'm good night <laughs> but it's good huh. if you like especially if you like vincent price it's it's really neat to see some of his earlier work and where he came from and how he started to develop into the character he would become, which I think this has got to be one of those key films about that. I'm always struck when I see those pictures of Price in the 40s, just how handsome yes. a man he was. Yeah. <laughs> just like, wow, this was one good-looking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I can see why he, he was trying to become a, a leading man, you yeah. know, a, a Cary Grant type. Just didn't quite get cast in that kind of stuff and then you know he hit his stride he started to do horror and go all right this will get me hired for a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i have been um just binging on hbo and everything they've been knocking it out of the park now i'm a little late to shows like um crashing which i love which is all about stand-up oh, yeah it's hilarious but i love stand-up comics so yeah. or uh the righteous gemstones which is hilarious and very very dark i need to start watching that one i haven't watched that yet yeah yeah basically the same cast as uh as vice principals but a very bleak take on <laughs> the 
evangelical ministers and all that stuff. It's it's very, very dark and funny. But then uh, I started watching his dark materials. Oh, yeah. You guys paying attention to this at all? Um, a little bit. I read them um, a couple years back and then saw the film and was not that into the film. Yeah, The Golden so, Compass. I haven't yeah. read the books, but I did watch that movie and thought, eh, not for me. The books are so good. Okay, well, these must be closer to the books then, because <laughs> this has been really a neat show. James right. McAvoy, uh, I think he's only in a couple of episodes, actually. It mostly focuses on the young woman whose name I can't remember, but she played the uh, the Wolverine clone in Logan. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So she's oh, the lead awesome. in this. She's really, really good. Everybody's really good in it, and the effects are really neat. It's a It's a... What would you call it? Alternate history, magical, yeah, London. Yeah, it's definitely a fantasy. Yeah. Um, scape, but it's yeah, it's kind of a dark, dark fantasy. I'm Definitely. Not, I'm not familiar with this, but maybe you can clear it up for me because I always just sort of passed by it because it just looked like a a strange rework rework of like the Chronicles of Narnia. I guess deep. I could see why you would think that because it feels very British. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, it is nothing like Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, it's definitely like it takes place, I believe, in this sort of futuristic city where um, there's... Is it futuristic? Because it feels very much like 1800s London, only it has flying... Steampunky? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it would be steampunky. It's weird. I don't know. I guess when I read it, I felt like it was... I don't know. It felt like it was both the past and the future at the same time to me. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it just, it's hard to place it because it's just, a, it's like our world, but different. Yes. Um, cool. And there are kids who, um, they ha- each have a familiar, essentially. Yeah. A, a demon, basically. A, yeah. A demon, D- D-A-E-M-O-N. Is that D-A-E-M-O-N. correct? D-A-E-M-O-N. Yeah. Demon. Is, just like it. eons, A-E-O-N-O. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Same same deal. But um, yeah. And, and there's a bunch of like, um, she's a kid, but there's a bunch of politics essentially happening where it's sort of the church versus the state. And there's this kind of epic battle that she ends up being drawn into. Yeah, but not uh, not Phantom Menace type politics. These are <laughs> politics that you can follow and you're interested in. Okay, <laughs> you're watching this, going, "Oh, this is an interesting turn. This is not Trade Federation bullshit." Yeah, and they each want to kind of use her for their own devices, their own ways. They're trying to convince her to take one side or the other because she has some extra special things about her. So. Yeah, and I don't know That's what's cool. going on or how it's dealt with in the book, but. In the series so far, you're you're given like a clear bad guy who then is suddenly maybe not such a clear bad guy, and I'm just like, boy, I don't know, I don't know who I'm rooting for in this. It's really interesting. <laughs> yes, it's it oh, does a very cool. um, concise version of what Harry Potter does, where mm-hmm. in Harry Potter it starts off as everything black and white, and by the end you realize there is a lot of gray going yeah. on, and people who you thought were evil maybe weren't, or the people who are evil maybe got there through a series of event- events. It does that as well. It kind of starts mm-hmm. with the world looking one way, and by the end it looks very different. Very cool. Young so adult you, series. What's that? Not that this isn't a cut to it or anything like that, but it's like a young, a young adult it series. It feels like, like it's a young adult stuff. series. Definitely yeah. 100%. It's a three enormous books from what I remember. Well, and not now, enormous. But. And now a couple of <laughs> other ones because I did a little research on this and he has written two other books since then that oh, are in the I same had world. no idea. Yeah. Um, I'm a little surprised that you're not watching the show since you like the books because it's, it's a cool show. <laughs> 
Uh, to be clear, I read the, or sorry, I I watched. Sorry, I read the I read the books when I was sixteen. So so last year, two years ago, it's been a little while. It's been perhaps nearly twenty years. Sorry, right. it's been a long time. It's all right. You don't have to work out the math. It's okay. We okay. understand. Yeah, you're, I'm you're a lot younger than us. No, <laughs> oh my please God. continue to I rub it I'm in. I'm not saying this ever. I'm not young. I'm old. You, could, I'm one of you. So, all right, somebody's. Do something next to get us off this topic. Um, Oh, I finally saw it just in the vampire theme. Um, Maybe not in the demon theme, but um, demon (laughs) theme. Uh, I saw Lost Boys. Did you just Uh, say you finally saw Lost Boys? Okay, I am sure I've seen, I felt like I'd seen it before, but I think I'd just seen a bunch of pieces, like it on in the background, or my brother's watching it, and I'm, you know, like coming in and out. I've seen parts of it, but I'd never seen it from tip to stern. So Do you still believe? It is such a <laughs> uh, snapshot of the time. What it was it is. like to watch it yeah. for the first time now? It felt like a snapshot of the time. Oh, okay. It was actually really great because um, like my brother, was, one of my two brothers, was a total rebellious late 80s early 90s kid who was like skateboarding and pierced his own ears and wore leather jackets and you know would like disappear with his friends Bit and people on the top of their heads <laughs> <laughs> and so I felt like I've really connected to it um, oh, I was cool. like man this reminds me so much of what it was like to be um, around him during that time and uh, just to live in that world during that time so I, I enjoyed it a lot it was it was a great film I really loved discovering how much it had inspired vampire films. I didn't oh, even realize. Geez, definitely, yeah. It is definitely yeah. a touchstone film. It oh is my a gosh! Huge I had no film. idea how much, and there were just some brilliant moments in it, like when they're hanging off the railroad ties <laughs> above, like the mist, and you don't know what's below. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, human, probably, maybe. You're not sure. <laughs> you don't at that know point. at that point. Yeah. No. The only thing I wasn't sure about was um, the little kid in that, the little kid vampire. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's her son or her brother or just some kid who's I hanging out with them. I think it's another kid yeah. that she has just kind of taken. Taken under her wing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was so lost. I was like, I was rewinding it multiple times. Talk about lost boys. <laughs> It'd be- <laughs> I was was trying to figure it out. I was like, I rewound the scene where they're like hanging out together and they introduce him. They never even say who he is. And then later she's just like really protective of him. So I was like, what is going on? Yeah, that that was sort of a thing. What did you think of the Frog Brothers? Oh, they were too much, but you know, that's okay. It was hilarious watching them be like know-it-alls and then... Completely, completely wrong. wrong. Yes. Totally have no idea what they're doing. They opened up their eyes and talked. <laughs> it was amazing. They're just like running, bursting out of places. Did you and, see the, um, I think it was early, like last year or maybe even earlier this year, the saxophone player toured? The guy, the saxophone player from the really? thing. That's Basically hilarious. on that one scene. Oh yeah. my god! built his entire career. That yeah. is crazy. <laughs> that is absolute madness. Yeah. And I saw a video somebody took, that, somebody we know around here, took posted on YouTube of the segment where he talked about that and then played the song a little bit and stuff. He's done exactly, he knows exactly what he's got and how to play it. Wow. He really has Yeah, that's right. That. He was like down at the fun house or something, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. 
yeah, that's. Huh. I was like, that wasn't like. I mean, it was. It was. He was. You know, featured, but not for very long. No, no. but it's a pretty memorable scene. Yeah, and the music in that is. I mean, that soundtrack is. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! The music's so good. It's definitely of its time, but then at the same time, it doesn't feel as dated as you might think it should. No, no, not at all. It definitely felt like the the story was still extremely fascinating and you know followable, and you really cared about everyone and everything that was going on in it. Even Mm -hmm. if she was like getting a job at a VHS store, oh yes, a rental (laughs) store, cool VHS store. I don't think it was even a rental. I think it was like a purchase, like a cool like (laughs) Like Tower Records kind of thing. thing. I've been on a few piers that have like stores and things like that. I have never seen a pier that is. It's like a mall. It really (laughs) is. There's so much there. Comic book stores, which. No idiots opening a comic book store right next to the ocean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like two <laughs> or VHS kids store are right running next it, to the ocean. Which like, is weird. I have to restock my entire supply of videos every six to eight months because the salt water destroys them entirely. But it was cool in the movie. It's really cool in the movie. Now. I always have to then point out um, that uh, Jason Patrick, of course, is the older brother in this. Yeah. His younger half brother <laughs> is the young kid in Near Dark, the other vampire film of that year. Oh, that came weird. Out. Yeah, so they were yeah. in competing vampire films. And of course, their father is the guy who played Father Karras in The Exorcist. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And Near Dark, another, well, Lost Boys is an underrated, but Near Dark is still an underrated. Is that film. the Catherine Bigelow? Bigelow yeah. first directed film. I don't, I don't know if that was her first one, first, but, but she was producing stuff, wasn't she? Um, Termin- yeah. yeah, Cameron's producer. Mm-hmm. Yep, Cameron's was that ex-wife? I was going to say, was that yeah. his wife? He, at the yeah. Time? yeah, people actually really underrated her because they basically said that she was he was really directing it and she was just there. So when the Hurt Locker came out, it was a really big deal because. She had nothing to do. It was obviously it was James obviously Cameron was not involved, her, yeah. and she obviously was talented. So, well, and that must have been a really big deal then, because didn't Hurt Locker take the Oscar, and Avatar yeah. was also up for it that year? Wait, oh, was, was, was Avatar that year? That year? I'm not sure, but Avatar it was. was it was regardless. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was won. an incredibly big deal. That's funny. Yeah, I, I would. I would not watching Near Dark. I would not think James Cameron had anything to do with it. It doesn't feel like his directing. Yeah, it doesn't so. feel like it doesn't, anything. He but does. you know, you have. I mean, people just sort of like Poltergeist. I feel. Toby probably directed a lot of it, but there are segments that feel deeply Spielbergian. And I was like, right. Steven yeah. Spielberg totally. had a lot to do with this. I, yeah, I would call I think him James a Cameron had hands-on anything, producer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe at the time James called somebody at the studio and might have known, but she was the producer of his movies. So she's usually the one making those calls yeah. to get people interested in your movie. So It's, <laughs> it's always a right. weird one. There's a similar <laughs> thing with um, Sofia Coppola, too, oh, yeah. where a lot of people theorize that Roman Coppola, her cousin, um, actually directs them all and she's just taking the name. So it's it's what? Yeah. That's, that's a weird one. Why would you bother I could see if somebody said, Well, Francis was more involved with it, but if you no. don't want to make your just what I do not understand where you yeah. come to that point at that all. That one's interesting. If Roman's supposed to be that good of a director, why don't he make his own damn exactly. movies and put his own name I on it? I feel like why he does he? do something and that's why people theorize that, but I can't remember I'd have to look it up. Wow, that's yeah, a, that's but there's a, there's a lot of deep cuts for any woman and pre Me Too movement. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lot oh. of like ladies can't possibly do anything good. 
Yeah. Especially, Dumb. you know, directing. <laughs> My God, there's no way. A woman in a camera, she can, she wouldn't know what to do with herself. Is it upside down? Oh, lady, you should write it right up. <laughs> Hand it to a man. He knows how to hold it. All right. What else have you watched? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, I got a, a Val Luton that I watched kind of like, well, maybe I'll check this okay, one so out. Okay, so who is Val Luton? I, like you guys said he in a million is, times. you're fired. <laughs> He How is. about you just introduce? Why don't you do your job and bring <laughs> film knowledge to the masses, which includes me? Oh, well, we've talked about Luton a lot on this show. Anybody that listens knows we're like right. He was about the same period as Universal, probably a little bit before. Okay, well, a little bit after, actually. And after, mm-hmm. yeah, because that was he was the head of RKO's horror unit. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't even know RKO had a horror unit. You would probably know the title, Cat People. I would, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I walked with a zombie. I have not seen that yet either, but I know it. Well, it, I, yeah. having not seen Val Luton isn't necessarily not, a, a strike against you. Not a huge <laughs> surprise. We got listening to him because of the was a Shadows podcast and the storytelling about him. And he was basically a producer writer. He was given a really good deal with RKO, but it really bad in other ways. Like, here's the title. Make your movie. Yeah, they would tell him what the title of his new movie was, and it was always, you know, some kind of sensational title yeah. like The Leopard Man oh. or I Walked with a Zombie. And he was oh. like, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And so then he would write these really moody movies and yeah. and throw a cat into it or <laughs> something it like that. And the you know, RKO the guy above him, who was his boss, hated him. Yeah. But the films kept getting these amazing reviews, and mm-hmm. so you know he couldn't fire him. Yeah, he made uh, Cat People is in, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Curse of the Cat People is like early avant garde almost. Yeah. It is yeah. so unusual, yeah. but it's really interesting. It's and definitely been on my list for a long time to <laughs> check it out. I think you would like it. It, it is. Uh, you know, you talked about how beautiful um, Bride is last mm-hmm. on our last episode. Yeah. I think Val Luton's films look much better. Really? An absolute master of shadow and dark. That scene in Cat People with the bus where they're walking by the shadows on the wall. And it's just, he is incredible. Absolutely check him out. If you you had picked Cat People for noir, I would have been totally fine with it. Because it it takes a lot of the same uh, elements of noir in it. I'd call it horror noir, but it's definitely Definitely. that kind of film. I definitely came very, very close. Very, very close. It was a, it was a tough decision (laughs) this week. If you really want to check them out, you know, just drop a few shekels, subscribe to the criterion channel for a month or two. They've got his entire catalog on there streaming right now. So, so that's where I watched ghost ship, which before I hadn't watched because it was like, I can see all these for free, and that one's a rental on Amazon, so it kind of kept going back. So I was like, okay, I'm going to check out Ghost Ship. And that was made in 1943. Pretty good. Mark Robson, who actually went on to direct Isle of the Dead, which I talked about a few episodes back, and uh, Earthquake, the 1970s film. Yeah, I forgot that he did Earthquake. That's right. And it's it's a little unusual for a Val Luton film because it it is definitely more of a noir. It's very much almost a murder mystery. And it feels like... Well, it's called Ghost Ship, so I need to, like we were talking about, he tossed in a cat or something right. to, to justify cat. He just name. put a rowboat in there somewhere. And it, well, no, it's it, a it all takes boat. place on a boat. Oh, okay. but, but, but the haunting mm-hmm. is secondary. You know, it's not, it's there, but it's not definitely not the main point of the story. The main point of the story is figuring out what the hell's wrong with the, the captain or the crew or the people involved with it. They have a, a, 
freaking terrifying surgery scene, not because the scene's terrifying, but the way they put the guy under, where it's just basically a mask over his face with the guy pouring ether <laughs> or oh, whatever wow. onto the top to keep him unconscious. Going, oh, oh, that's so scary. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it, it's definitely much, much more of a drama. It's a good one, but it's not. If I'd seen this Val Luton first, I might go, oh, okay, yeah, he's good. But hmm. I don't know if it, like watching Cat People first, I like within a couple days just watched I Walk with a Zombie and then I watched Curse of the... I mean, just bam, It just bam, kept bam, going. Because I Walked with a Zombie has got to be one of the worst name versus quality of film <laughs> created. It's a really good movie. I it's just, a really dumb name. <laughs> I assumed it was going to be such a schlocky B movie that no, I've just not. kept putting it off. That was his struggle at yeah. RKO was they just kept giving him these titles and he oh, was so bummed about it, but he kept on coming up with these amazing films. Yeah. Well, all right. Anything else? I've got some noir films to talk about. Yeah. But oh, not right noir. now. Why don't we take a little break? <laughs> um, we'll see if I even can hear the sponsors that we have this week <laughs> brought to you by and we'll we'll come back and talk little season Ember. we were playing electronic detective that computerized whodunit game i had the case all figured out lucy was the killer right wrong wrong <laughs> Lucy and I were uptown playing cards. Lucy's prints were on the 45, but only Dino Ricchetti knew whose prints were on the 38. Now, if the 45 was uptown with Lenny Little and the 38 was downtown with Dino Ricchetti, then the killer had to be Eileen Stella. Of course. Electronic Detective from Ideal. We are back. Uh, today's subgenre was my choice. It was noir. I kind of wanted to cash in on everybody else doing their cool noir vember things. <laughs> and uh, so I guess I will go first, if you guys don't mind. Dive in. I wanted to choose something uh, kind of different for, for this. And I was thinking of going clever and cute. And then um, <laughs> one of my first choices, though, was a film that, I saw years and years ago that I loved and I decided to revisit that first and about four minutes into it I was like nope this is my choice (laughs) and it is from 1955 Kiss Me Deadly girls fleeing in terror from things beyond description who are you? My name is Mike Hammer, it matters. What do you want? He was out to get men who tortured women and killed with the ferocity of wild beasts. This was their jungle. Cut the knife! Kiss Me Deadly stars Ralph Meeker, winner of the New York Critics Award. Through his great talent, the vivid character of Mike Hammer comes to life as never before. Remember me? This woman's lips, cold as steel, lethal as a gun, gave him the terrifying clue he sought. On this woman's lips, warm with longing, lay the shocking secret of Kiss Me Deadly. Now I have Lita Ford's song in my head. Anybody else? (laughs) If you're listening. (laughs) So, um... This was directed by Robert Aldrich, who you may know from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, The Dirty Dozen, Choir Boys, and like a hundred other directing credits. Choir Boys? 
The Choir Boys. You've never yeah. seen The Choir Boys? Mm-hmm. Oh, good stuff. Joseph Wambau. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Written by A.I. Bezereeds. Sure. You know. I can't correct you on that. Old man Bezereeds boy. <laughs> He's done a ton of TV. Uh, remember, this is 1955, so his TV is stuff like Big Valley, The Detectives, Bonanza, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Route 66. Also, the writer of The Night Stalker. Wow. Mm. Nice. It stars Ralph Meeker, who was in uh, Police Story and a bunch of other TV credits and stuff like that. Marion Carr, also from a ton of TV back then. And introducing... Cloris Leachman. uh, I could not find any numbers for the budget. The box office was $410,000. In 1955, that could have been good. That could have been not good. It's hard to tell without knowing what they started with for their budget. Rotten Tomatoes. The (laughs) critics gave this 98%. The audience gave it 84%. This is a highly rated film. People love this film. I wasn't expecting that because... Nobody talks about this film. So let me just tell you what this film is about, Vanessa. This lady (laughs) goes to a party last Saturday night. Now, (laughs) she doesn't get laid. Okay. She gets in a fight. She had to borrow 10 bucks from her old man. Ooh, it's a tough situation. Kiss me once. Kiss me twice. Come on, pretty baby. Kiss me daily. Okay. okay. This is not at all what this story is about. Okay. I, I hadn't heard the song, so I feel a little more educated. That was, that was all for Eric. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so this is, uh, so you may not have heard or seen this movie, but I'm sure you've heard of Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. I will give you a yes on that. Okay. No, but, but uh, carry on. This in, was a series of hard-boiled detective novels, and uh, this, I don't know if this is the very first film based on? 55? Probably not. Okay. But uh, definitely one of the early it's ones. It's one of the early ones. Uh, so, Mike Hammer is driving down the road and there, at night, and there is this uh, woman trying to get people to stop for her. She's obviously <laughs> distraught. Cars are driving by. She decides to basically throw herself in front of this other car, and it's Mike Hammer who happens to be driving. So he, he slams on the brakes. He gets her in the car. She's basically barefoot, and we find out she's completely naked under the trench coat that she's wearing and he's like what's going on with you lady and she's saying look look you got to help me they're after me and everything and so he's driving along and they hit a police barricade and she you know basically grabs him and says please don't let them take me and so he pulls her close as the cops come up and uh, they're like, hey, we got a lady who's escaped from the mental asylum. Have you seen anybody? And he's got his arm around her and he says, no, my wife and I are driving along here. She's just been asleep. They're like, all right, well, have a good night. So now he's in the thick of it. He's helped her out. Um, shortly thereafter, though, they, uh, they get captured by these guys that are chasing after her. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, this is in the first five minutes of this film. And they are then he's he's knocked out and she is tortured and the screaming from her during this torture scene is harrowing. I had to turn the volume down because I was afraid my neighbor would call the cops (laughs) hearing this screaming woman from a 1950s movie. I mean, it was fucking terrifying. Oh, my God. And they're torturing her. And then um, 
when uh, when Mike Hammer comes to, we find out that they have killed her. Jeez. So he's uh, taken in t- by the police, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And now he's uh, embroiled in this mystery. Why did they want her killed so badly? It's all very strange. Um, this goes into some of the best stuff that noir has to offer, and that includes mobsters, uh, boxing managers. There's a there's a scene where he goes and talks to a guy who's got a boxer, and uh, he's like, "So you knew this woman? What's going on here?" And and the guy tells him, "Some people already came to me and." Asked me these questions, and he's like, well, I'll give you double what they gave you for the answers. And he says, I don't think you can, because they told me I could keep breathing. <laughs> you know, so stuff like the that. language oh, of Yeah, God. yeah. It, there's dirty cops and everything in this as he's going through trying to figure out more and more about this lady. And he's starting to, to run into people who are telling him things about, hey, this is way bigger than you can imagine, Mike. You don't want to get involved in this. And uh, it turns out it is way bigger because at one point he comes across a suitcase in a uh, in one of those public locker things like we always see in these movies. Gets oh, sure. the keys, gets the suitcase and everything. And the suitcase's handle is hot to the touch. Oh. And he's like, what is this? So he, he slowly opens it up just a tiny bit and this glowing light comes out and he slams it shut and his wrist is burned. And the, the creepiest part, this thing like starts – turning into a horror movie because as soon as he opens the suitcase you hear this oh my god you're like what the fuck is going on here oh jeez just kill my throat with that yeah no shit so of course this also has a lot of the trappings that we are familiar with like the femme fatale and all of that stuff and so yes he gets the briefcase for a short while but he also gets cold cocked and loses the briefcase and now he's on the search for whatever this briefcase is his regular girl Friday has also been embroiled in this now and she's been captured and he's got to now rescue her somehow. This is like any noir film. It's super, super complicated when it gets into all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got some really great stuff that I do want to get into about uh, dialogue and shit like that, which I'll have you pause so that I can get to at some point. In any case, um, <laughs> he ends up uh, trying to uh, get to his girlfriend now. At this point, he's the, the femme fatale wants this suitcase very badly. It is worth millions of dollars to somebody. We don't know why. We don't know what's in it, except for Mike Hammer, who has opened it briefly. And he's like, you do not want to open this briefcase. So... The gal gets it, and her partner, the the femme fatale, her partner is uh, is telling her um, she's like, "What's in the suitcase?" And he's giving her all these cryptic things. He's saying the head of Medusa. He's saying uh, it's Pandora's box. It's all this stuff that you do not want to open. And this is just driving her insane. She wants this thing bad, bad, bad. <laughs> and he tells her that. Uh, She says, you know, well, I want half of whatever's in there. And he says, well, unfortunately, this thing can't be halved. And she says, okay, I'll take it all then. And she kills him. Mike Hammer is now snuck into the beach house where all of this is taking place. And his girlfriend is, uh, you know, bound in one of the rooms. 
And uh, he then has a, he runs into the lady and she's got the suitcase now and she's about to open it. And he's like, do not open that. I beg of you. Uh, he gets a bullet in the gut for his problems. And he starts crawling out of the room and she decides to open the suitcase and we get that fucking creepy sound. She opens it all the way and it's just this blinding glowing light. And then she bursts into flame. Oh my God. And is screaming in agony as this light is filling up the room. My camera gets to his girlfriend. He gets her out of the room and they uh, take off out of this beach house and they're running along in the sand in the sand. And behind them is this big, beautiful beach house, and this light is just bursting through all the windows, and you're hearing this super creepy sound, and this wow, 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 and all of this shit going on. And literally, the film ends with them um, kind of falling into the surf, and the house explodes. <laughs> sure. The house explodes. They're sitting there, you know, sitting there literally in the surf as the waves are crashing in on them. And they're just looking at this burning house now. And uh, you hear the music swell and the end. What? Yes. It is so fucking great. Wild. I love this movie so much. And there's all sorts of hints. You know, this is 55. So it's only, hmm. yes, it's, it's only a decade after we've dropped a couple of uh, atomic weapons on another country. Mm-hmm. And this is very much what they're saying would happen. Now, I don't know what the technology in the suitcases was like back then and why just opening a suitcase would cause a nuclear reaction of this size but what the <laughs> you hell? know it sounds like it was like nuclear cores or something i mean still leather briefcases you know it's <laughs> yeah oh sure was it a leather briefcase I it was know. just a black leather briefcase why, oh. does, why does this briefcase weigh 400 pounds oh, it's be the lining inside Nothing like it. that you know something. we didn't really as general populace oh, right. know what an atomic weapon looked like right yeah. so uh they just kind of turn this in. In fact, Let's in the fear film, the masses. in the film, they call it a great what's huh. Oh, weird. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, it is the time period of, you know, duck and cover and all that stuff where people thought you could, were taught you could dunk under your school <laughs> desk and be okay from a nuke. It's like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It'll um, give you something to do. <laughs> yes. One of the more interesting things about this is this is clearly where Tarantino lifted his Pulp Fiction suitcase from. Remember oh. at the beginning when uh, when Jules opens the suitcase? Are we happy? And, <laughs> and, and it's a glowing light glowing at them. And we never find out what is in that suitcase. Right. And it's not something that's obviously as deadly as this is. But, <laughs> yeah. but this is clearly where he got the inspiration for that. Travolta didn't melt when he looked inside it. <laughs> no. Find what you were looking for? Not yet. Okay. Um, so one of the crazy things about this, this whole movie is just crazy and everything, yeah. but the credits start rolling and it's it's disconcerting because they are rolling backwards. Uh-huh. So instead of rolling from the bottom uh-huh. up, they're rolling from the top down. So what you see is written by first and then you see the first name of the person uh-huh. so it would be uh, ai and then scrolling down after that is his last name oh weird and then it, you know that happens through the entire credits which are projected over a guy driving it, the camera is set up in the back of the car and he's just driving down a huh. 
a uh, highway, barren highway with his headlights. All you can see are what's coming up. And there is a woman crying over the entire run of the credits, just oh sobbing. God. And it's, it's just fucking weird, man. It's so great. It's super intense. Another interesting thing about this film, the Cathaver Commission, which investigated corrupting influences oh, in the 1950s, sure. called this 1955's number one menace to American youth. Nice. Oh, <laughs> solid. Must watch. That and bubblegum. Watch out. <laughs> Hula hoop, kill ya. <laughs> so now I've, I've getting your hair. <laughs> I've jumped to onto IMDb and I want to uh, read off some of the quotes from this film because if there's nothing that oh, you love noir, about noir man. films, you yeah. gotta oh. love some of the dialogue. At one point, Mike Hammer is talking to uh, Cloris Leachman, who's the lady he picks up. He's trying to ask her questions on why why are you running naked in the middle of the road and all this. And here's his dialogue to her: What's this all about? I'll make a quick guess. You were out with some guy who thought no was a three-letter word. I should have thrown you off the cliff back there. I might still do it. Where are you headed? (laughs) (laughs) Or Lily Carver talking about her. She was a good kid. She was lots of fun. We worked together. A couple of jobs till she got sick. That's when I noticed that she started to change. You get on a merry-go-round. You think you can get off any old time. But then it starts going too fast. <laughs> nice. Oh. So stuff like that. I just, I love this movie so much. And I know that I gave away the ending and everything. But I did that because I think that if you're into horror films, a lot of times noir feels like homework almost. You're like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to like these movies, but this isn't really my thing. This movie feels like a horror film. Hmm. At least like a genre film. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I I love it. I want everybody else to love it. Sounds great. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, I see that one. I think I'll dive in next. So that okay, works all right. Sure. For you. Yeah. Finish with the most recent. <laughs> we'll jump around because mine. The film I was talking about is ten years earlier, <laughs> yours, <laughs> and it's one. It's definitely one of the classics of the genre, and it's called uh, Laura. Murder is my favorite crime. I write about it regularly. And I know you'll have to visit everyone on your list of suspects. I'd like to study their reactions. You're on the list yourself, you know. Good. To have overlooked me would have been a pointed insult. What is your relationship with Mr. Carpenter? What do you mean? An acquaintance, friend, are you in love with him? This is beginning to assume fabulous aspects. Oh, shut up. He's been fired lately. Yes, he killed some rabbits with it. When? Oh, a while back, I don't know exactly. After that, I... You ate a lonely dinner, then got into the tub to read. Why did you write it down? Afraid you'd forget it? I've hardly slept a wink since it happened. Is that a sign of guilt or innocence, McPherson? From 1945. Ooh. This has got to be the highest rated... Rotten Tomatoes film I've ever talked about. Critics, 100%. Awesome. Audience, 91%. Whoa. It won an Oscar for Best Cinematography, Black and White. Uh, Best Actor, nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role with Clifton Webb. Best Director for Otto Preminger. Best Writing Screenplay. (laughs) So it was, uh, it did all right the year it came out, let's just say. (laughs) Uh, 
so there's really no reliable box office. I have a hard time believing a million dollars was what it did because that seems wow, kind of even for that period a little low for a movie that's as well regarded as this one. But oh, I was going to say that seemed high. Uh, a million dollars in 1946. That's when a million dollars was a million dollars, baby. In 1945, <laughs> even earlier. <laughs> Anyways, as I just mentioned, is directed by Otto Preminger, who's also done you know a few other films: Anatomy of the Murder, The Man with the Golden Arm, couple mm-hmm. couple ones there. Had uh, written by Jay Drotler, Samuel Hoffestein, Elizabeth Reinhardt, uh, based on a book by Vera Caspery, and it was starring Gene Tierney from The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Clifton Webb from Three Coins in a Fountain, and the uh, original version of Titanic, mm. uh, Dana Edwards from. Battle of the Bulge and Curse of the Demon. Underrated fun one. And this also is a Vincent Price film. Oh. It opens, again, this is noir. It's got a lot of the fun trappings of noir where the detective shows up and he's interviewing a very rich man who just doesn't give two craps that the guy's there. Mm. It opens up with kind of a narration from that guy, from the rich guy, talking about how he's watching the detective through the crack in the window or the door to see what he's up to and... Not let, making him wait for a little while before I invite him in, and he finally invites the guy in, and he's sitting in a bathtub. <laughs> the a little thing that he's writing stuff on is not real interested in talking. This detective, I can see the detective. He's it wasn't a famous name like uh, Mike. What was it? Mickey Mickey Splane. Splane was, but uh, he had a great story with uh, how he got injured, and he's now the detective with the silver shin bone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> So he's talking about Laura's dead at the beginning of the film. So this, it starts with the investigation of her death. I Like we already said, we're going to say again, I love this kind of writing. I wish people would still accept and understand and enjoy this ridiculously flamboyant language that is used in films like noir. And I, too, have a few quotes that I'm going to Woo-hoo. pull up. See, the, Like the rich guy's asking, he's like, do you need a pen to write down? He responds with, I don't use a pen. I write with a goose quill dipped in venom. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. Oh my God. Or Vincent Price's character is named Shelby. He's got a, I can afford a blemish on my character, but not on my clothes. <laughs> and one of my favorite lines from the movie is also him. He's like, I don't know a lot about anything, but I know a little about practically everything. Nice. <laughs> like, That's Jesus solid. Christ, man. And it's just so rich and fun to listen to. A, re- a well-written noir film, even if the story and plot line's kind of weak, is still a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Sure, yeah. So this, this is told in a lot of flashbacks and a lot of back and forth because you, you need to be introduced to Laura and her life. Vincent plays her supposedly, you don't really know for sure, but he says he was her fiancé. And uh, the other guy, the rich guy in the bathtub, who was her mentor and worked with her in a lot of things, doesn't believe that she was. And you can't quite tell if this guy's on the level with her or if he is was in love with her himself and is very was very manipulative and nasty or just not sure what he's about. She's it's a great, really good female character. She's she meets the rich guy because he's sitting in a restaurant and she works for an ad company who refused to let her talk to him. So she just takes her ad copy and walks up right up to him and go, we'd love for you to, and this is when he says the line about the goose pen and venom. Mm -hmm. We'd love for you to advertise our pen. And uh, she does a great job of kind of selling him on it. So that's a fun scene because it's really, it's really different for for what you might see for a long time in films. (laughs) 
It's a mixed betrayal, though, because or portrayal, because then she sort of be when he becomes her mentor, he becomes very manipulative and controlling almost. And it's so it's very interesting. And Vincent is a lot of fun when he's defending himself to the detective and going back and forth and wonderful underhanded shit going on. And again, those lines, these subtle lines where somebody's saying something that really means something very differently, very mm. different, but they're saying it really well. And this film is full of that stuff. <laughs> I did Bruce a funny thing the comment does when they, I tell you, in that time period, when they mixed scotch and water, they didn't screw around, man. <laughs> Guy hands a girl a scotch, takes one of those little squirt things. Here's your scotch, or here's your water with a little bit of scotch mixed in. <laughs> like, oh. That's such a bummer. It's not deep on plot. It's a straight murder mystery, so the, the plot details are kind of light. And going forward with it, it's just one to watch for the lines as opposed to really telling you what's going on, because... The story is so um, straightforward that you're like, oh, is this what's going on? Oh, wait, hold on. Maybe it's not. So I'll go into a lot of details on what occurs in this one. I do love the fashions of the 40s where the guys have the pants that go up to, you know, their chest with the ties <laughs> that are like four inches long <laughs> up there, which doesn't look so bad when they have the jackets on, but they take that jacket off. You're like, whoa, sir. <laughs> and of course, while the detective's investigating her, he falls in love with the concept of Laura. Uh, which is really interesting. There is a hell of a review part of the way, a reveal part of the way through the movie, which I'm not going to talk about because it's just too damn cool. Vincent Price is, is very weird in this film. This is again, another one where he's sort of, am I going to be a lead guy or am I going to be a villain? Hmm. And he sort of straddles that line a little bit. And he is definitely in his full movie star, good looks for this film. And his, uh, his performance is great. I think I, I was trying to remember for sure because I didn't you know, write notes or anything like that when I was hearing his daughter speak. But I think this was the film she said was one of his, her father's favorite performances. She thought oh. it was one of his best performances. I, I think I actually missed her talking, yeah. so I didn't hear this. It was, oh. And he is great in it. He is amazing. There's And there's fun little weird quirks. Like whenever the detective is – he finds this um, – I don't know if kids these days know about these things. It's uh, one of those little – like steel ball games where it was a baseball thing. And the idea is you, you test it around to get the balls to oh, fill yeah, all yeah. the bases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whenever he's talking to the uh, rich guy, he's playing with that thing. That's amazing. It's like, it's almost like, it's like, okay, you're going to be kind of snubby and snobby to me. I'm not really going to look like I'm paying attention to you at all. Even though he's, <laughs> Two the, men who are not paying attention to right. each other talking. Yeah. Even though you, you figure out by the end he was listening to everything the guy said and was very good at figuring out what was going on. It is undoubtedly one of the classics of film noir. There's uh, Somebody who's a film noir expert is going to go, Laura, come on, of course. But if you're new to noir, I think it's a, it's a hell of a good film. And it's well worth talking about. It's not quite... Even though it won Best Cinematography, it's not quite shadowy to the level of a lot of noir films. It's there, but it doesn't quite have the super dark shadows most of the time. It's lighter lit. But the the hard-boiled detective, the concept, the beautiful ingenue in trouble is all there with the uh, deceptive older man and the deceptive... Is he deceptive? Fiance and all that stuff. So definitely check this one out. Nice choice. Yeah, it sounds amazing. 
So um, last, but hopefully not least, um, I'm going to bring us up to a new noir uh, film. So I watched the 2005-2006 film Brick. Brendan? Emily? I really screwed up. Screwed up how? The brick. What? I, I didn't know it was bad, but the pin's on it now. You gotta help me. Slow down now. This isn't good? No. Emily said words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Tug? Tug might be a drink. Like milk and vodka. Pin? You know the kingpin. Dope runner, right? Big time. What are you gonna do? She asked for my help. I just wanna know if she's okay. So what's first? I'm gonna start shaking things up. Whatever this is. What do you want? Just to see you sweat. It's too hot. You got a discipline issue with me? Write me up or suspend me. I see that you're trying to help her. And I don't know anybody who would do that for me. You are dangerous. I set out to know put her on the spot. I put her in front of the gun. There's not much chance of coming out clean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like this movie a lot. Very good. Explain to me why it's 2005 slash 2006. It it came out in 2005 in Europe, and it came out in the U.S. in 2006. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of frustrating, because I kept um, writing down the year and then changing it, (laughs) then going back and forth, because every time I looked somewhere, it had, like, one or the other. Um, So, (laughs) this is a really cool... kind of love letter to noir it is a noir film like it 100 percent up and yeah. down is it's structurally made so the dialogue is the characters are but set in a high school mm-hmm. so you're watching this really a film that's taking itself very very seriously 100 percent noir but they have like bells and they had to get to class and there's like homework and all these kinds of things going on in the background always just in the background it's like little hints of it which just makes it such a delight i saw this movie way way back when it um first i think got onto dvd because there were a lot of rumors about it and i was living out in the uk at the time in london and so um everyone's like you got to see this movie you got to see this movie it was kind of like very much a cult classic as as it still is and uh so i managed to you know wrangle a copy and checked it out so it was a real pleasure to get to revisit it um i am not a fan of film noir in general so sorry, Kelly. Um, it's it's just I've I've struggled with it for so long as a film studies kid. Um, I just was forced to watch it and just hated it. And then every year, like uh, a editing friend of mine, um, Chris Bustad. Uh, everywhere, every year, Seattle has this like noir festival, yeah. and he always has tickets. And he's like, "You're gonna come with me, right?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, do I have to?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, you'll like this one." And he's usually right. Like, uh, he has actually introduced <laughs> me to a couple of ones that have started to soften myself towards noir. But um, Brick was one that actually definitely resonated with me, just because it's. And if if you are new to noir, you might consider. <laughs> Uh, watching this or using it as a gateway 
noir <laughs> because it's it's really good as a kind of introduction to the style and the the fun of the genre. So, yeah, I agree. It's yeah. a cool movie. Yeah. yeah. So um, this movie, seventy nine percent critics on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty six percent audience. It was made for um, five hundred thousand dollars or just under, and it profited um, three point nine million worldwide. It's uh, it was done by directed by Rain Johnson, who you guys might know from um, a couple other films: Brothers Bloom, Looper, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. <laughs> You know, things like that. Never heard of it. Yeah, I know. I know. He's he's not really, his career hasn't taken off yet. But, you know, one day, one day, Rain, he'll make it. He'll make it. Um, uh, it won the special jury prize at Sundance, which is how it kind of started um, getting people's attention. However, he spent seven years pitching it and nobody wanted it. He finally ended up raising the money um, by asking friends and family Jeez. Yeah, and uh, he started production in 2003, but it took him a long time to shoot. They did three months of rehearsals. Just Whoa. they, there's film is such a masterclass in indie filmmaking and in low budget filmmaking. It's just absolutely incredible. He shot as conservatively as possible. He did it in San Clement, San Clement, Clemente. Clement in uh, California in <laughs> his someplace in California somewhere in it California, starts with San <laughs> yeah somewhere with San uh, that was his hometown and he shot at his high school and he did it mostly on the weekends using students oh that's neat yeah <laughs> which is just cool. super cool um, he he did a lot of little tricks that we we all kind of know but maybe people are um, not familiar with sometimes if you're doing a really action oriented shot uh, that looks like crazy and incredible, like uh, axe swings or, you know, uh, the, in this case, there's a car that nearly hits the lead character. It comes just like inches away from like just completely uh like um, hitting him like and it's really fast and it's really tense. But they they shot it backwards. So which is a sure. great trick. So they just gave so much love. They spent so much time um, on the script, on every shot. The color design is gorgeous, although it's not, you know, black and white with as much of the deep shadow work that you would get in typical noirs. It's it uses blue just yeah. like crazy. Like the lockers are blue. Um, the the lead, um, the Film, femme fatales bracelets are blue you know there's just a lot of stuff going on so um it also stars a couple of cool people we've got uh joseph gordon lovett the main guy although he looks like the kid um in this movie he looks like the kid from my name is dalmer oh really yeah <laughs> he looks like with the way they did his hair and stuff he looks really different I thought um, you were going to say, he looks like the kid from Third Rock from the Sun. In this I movie. was going to say. So that was huh. my introduction to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I just only ever think of him as that, the guy, the kid who was actually an old man who was an alien in Third Rock from the Sun. Was I can really see that. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, but he's also, you know, everybody knows who he is. But um, Inception, Snowden, The Walk, Sin City, Looper, Dark Knight, about eight million other movies. Because yeah. he just works like crazy. It also co-stars Lucas Haas, who um, was, hey, Haas. The, was <laughs> the kid in The Witness. And also your new favorite movie, Lady in White. 
Oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> oh no. Oh, well, he did a good job. He's got a funny face. <laughs> He's he plays the kingpin in this uh, in this film. Oh my god, I can't. Oh, now I can't see that. Um, I can't believe I didn't realize. All right, I knew he looked familiar. Um, Emily Der, uh, Emily Deraran who plays she's an Australian actress who plays Claire in Lost. I was also watching her going, how do I know this girl? Um and uh Nora Zetner who is the girl who, you know, is she good is she bad? We're not sure. Uh she did a bunch of TV um but she was in Everwood. I I was trying to figure out how I recognized her. I think Everwood must be how I know her or Heroes. So the film, the plot <laughs> Just like any other noir is incredibly difficult to describe. So let me just give you a little overview. The lead's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, contacts him out of the blue and says she's in trouble. Uh, he basically gets a, he gets a note in his locker that says a, a two street names. So he shows up and there's a phone booth there and the phone rings and it's ex, his ex giving him a call. And he's on the phone door and she's, you know, freaking out. And he's like, all right, all right, dollface, like, how, how am I going to help you? And, and she's like, oh, my God, they're coming, they're coming, and freaks out, hangs up the phone. There's an implication that she's nearby because she says, um, it's so good to see you while he's on the phone. So he's kind of looking around trying to figure out where she is. Um, when she hangs out, there's a, a muscle car that basically drives past and flicks a cigarette out the window, picks up the cigarette. It's got a blue arrow on it. My God. This will definitely come into play later. Don't you worry. Um, so uh, he decides that he's going to help her. And she then rescinds the request. Um, she says, actually, I don't. I don't need your help. Um, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. You don't want to get caught up in this. You know, we broke up for good reasons. I still love you, but, you know, we shouldn't be together. And just don't worry about me. Um, he is like, fine, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, and then starts immediately trying to figure out what's going on with her. Um, but they get into a big argument where she essentially tells him, hey, like, there's a flashback to, like, how they broke up, and it, it seems like they really shouldn't be in each other's life, and there's a, a distinct goodbye. She then dies. <laughs> we know this because in the first minute of the film, she's dead. So this is not a surprise. Um, but there is this really cool thing where you, uh, in the beginning, you see that there's this dead girl, and it's this person, you can't quite see who they are, but they've got these blue bracelets. As soon as you see this girl, she's got the blue bracelets, so it's just this great tie-in. Um, so once she turns up dead, he then goes on a mission to essentially take down anyone and everyone involved in this death. So... <laughs> Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it all takes place at high school. That's that's what's so fun about this is yeah. that it it's kids, high school kids, but like you were saying, dollface and everything. The language is definitely hard boiled. Yeah, it's so adult, and everyone takes themselves so seriously in such an adult manner. Yeah, you know, like the stoner kids are definitely like super thugs, and like <laughs> the the brainy kid who's the nerd who's his friend and helps him like figure stuff out is like basically spending all his time in the library, like some kind of scholar. Like, yeah. it's just brilliant. It's I I mean. I don't even know if this is a great movie, right. but the the pr 
premise is so great that you're just like you're it's magical. There's just so much fun along the way too. There are just these really great moments. Like he finally he's been hunting down this kingpin forever, trying to figure out who this guy is and how he's connected to his dead girlfriend. Um and like at one point they end up sitting down having this really tough conversation in the kingpin's house and the mom comes out and like drops some a glass of milk for each of them and has this little this little ceramic chicken containers pouring it you boys doing okay over here and then wanders off <laughs> that might be my favorite scene in it the movie so actually too. because uh, with all that going on then they both just kind of shut up and uh, be nice because you know now there's an adult in the room exactly <laughs> Exactly. Oh my nice. gosh. And I love that they also have this great relationship where um, he goes to see the vice principal and it's just like, you know, a, a PI seeing like a dirty cop, you know, and he's like, I, I gave you the leads on this last one, but I ain't no snitch. <laughs> and, like, and he's got this crazy relationship with the vice principal where he's like giving intel, but like he's not, he's not his man. So he's like, you got to lay off me for a week. I'm going to, I'm going to go real deep on this. On this mission, and the guy's like, "I can't make no promises. You got to keep it under wraps." And he's like, "It'll all be under under the under the sheets." And he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give you your time. I'll give you your time." Um, so there's just these great weird little moments. Um, they just have uh, like the drama kids are somehow really like wrapped up in this, and some kid, one of the jocks, is uh, somehow also part of it. And there's just like these great little scenes like he's constantly going to uh, check in with this girl who's um, like a lead actress in all the school plays and every time he goes into the makeup room she's wearing a completely different costume and makeup (laughs) so like one time she's like a geisha another time like every single time she's just dressed dramatically differently (laughs) Um, and it's just it's just such a a joy and um, she each character is so deep in the plot and has some kind of pivotal role and they're all all so caught up in this crazy thing whatever the crazy thing is Uh, but at the same time there's all this light stuff going on like obviously it's in high school and like the the kingpin pulls up and throws him in the van and the van has like a chandelier and like a oh that's right (laughs) yeah it is like swinging back and forth and he's like standing like he's entered this guy's office as they're driving so he's trying to like steady himself and the kingpin is like in this comfy chair with like a side table and a drink and the chandelier is going (laughs) it's just you know the it's weird because it it did kind of show its age a little bit again it is totally an indie film yeah it's super super low budget they are making the best out of not a lot like they go to a diner that basically has like a piece of paper in the window saying the name of the diner (laughs) so like the house they're in i guess is just some abandoned house that they like ended up using a bunch of so you know there's you can see the edges around it 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 i think it's actually shot maybe on film it looks like film it's got some weird kind of not quite right coloring going on it's a little little too dark and not you know mm. a little grainy here and there but i think they did an amazing job and i think it's a, a great way to get yourself into noir yeah i think uh you know we're talking about this and we're laughing and everything but the film although there are humorous moments it takes itself seriously and it's that's so why serious. it works yeah yeah there's no point in which they say were kids in high school right. pretending to be no it is a hundred percent the threat is real the issues are real um the characters are all very real 
you know, it's just, it's really magical. Boy, you talking about this really makes me want to watch this again. It's been a while. You can find it on Netflix. Well, I was also looking up going, man, how do I not own this on anything? Yeah. This seems like one I really should have. I was looking up on Amazon to see what like if it's available. There's a a 4K remastered version coming out in January. Oh wow, on, on that would be really fun to see because like, I I suspect that it could look better than it what it does. Yeah, it's got yeah. Like audio commentary, eight deleted and extended scenes. With they it like did that, so they did cut like um, twenty bucks. I might have to get that one. You Damn, should. They cut a bunch of time out of this. Um, so it, it's probably got some really interesting things going on. I know that they did cut a couple of things out, which I agree with. So at one point, um, he he starts making out with the girl who may be evil, maybe not evil. It's hard to tell. <laughs> right. And um, there's a time change where it gets dark and then it gets light again. And you're like, oh, in any other movie, this tells me they've slept together. Oh. Um, but she's fully clothed. So you're like, well, maybe they just made out. Like it's really for hard to long tell. Time. Yeah, for a long time, <laughs> or they like made out on the napped or something, you know? Like, and they're both totally dressed. They're like on top of the covers. You're like, oh, okay. And I guess one of the things they had originally shot was her putting her shirt on. Ah. So they decided to take that out to really give it more of that innocent. Like, you're not really sure what happened, you know? That's Could cool. be yeah. either way. That's cool. Yeah, I was a little surprised when you said the budget was five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. That's not a lot of money, especially if you're shooting on film. Yeah, it's so it's super low and it's all borrowed. That's what is amazing to me is that he no one wanted to give them this film right in to a certain extent, rightfully so, because he is a first time featured director and the plot of this is insane. I mean, the pitch for this film would be (laughs) insane. Well, you said, you know, he shot at his high school and I was thinking, oh, that's a little odd. But then I realized he was like 22 or something yeah. when he shot this. So it had only been, you know, four years. All his yeah, teachers totally. and everybody were still there. We all knew him. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah, no, he like, I he obviously used all the materials around him. Like the, the, the place where he finds the body was like a local hangout spot that kids would go to. I mean, it's just, that's he's cool. just stretching his wings within his little space. Nice. That's fantastic. And I also remember... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this was kind of a big deal for him, too, because this was his first, yeah, Yeah. outside of uh, Third Rock, this was going to be proving that he could be an actor. Well, he'd done a ton of stuff, and I was really surprised, because I was like, how on earth did they get Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Like, I mean, that alone should have killed the budget, but it was. He had kind of disappeared and was doing just really tiny roles, and this came along, and so it was... In fact, like he had to kind of prove himself to Rain Johnson, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> so um, it wasn't like Rain begging and borrowing and pleading for him to come on. It was a much more equal footed. That's another special edition on the Blu-ray casting, casting ooh, the film. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, fun! Oh, I can't wait to check this out. That is going to be amazing. Pre-order for January something. <laughs> oh, wow. What a fun episode, you guys. This yeah. is going to be kind of a, a throwaway. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward throw to checking away. out Brick again. None of well, these are throwaways. Well, throwaway in that, you know, I was like, okay, this is November. We got to do a noir episode. Yeah. It's just a little, it's, it stretches the kind of stuff we usually talk about. Right. And, but uh, I think as well within our realm now that we've talked about it. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, then that means... Vanessa, it is your choice. Is it? Might yeah. I suggest lasagna? <laughs> lasagna movies. No. I was like, wait, did he actually say lasagna? Um, so uh, 
funnily enough, because I <laughs> didn't, I didn't get to do uh, Cat People this week, I was thinking perhaps yes. we should do films featuring kitty kitties. <laughs> <laughs> we would do cat films. <laughs> so, kitty. Kitty kitty. Kitty. <laughs> movies, movies. Featuring kittens or cats or some form of are you, are you choosing cat people for I this? I am. Because I'm um, trying to remember, is there ever a cat in there? Yes. Okay. There is at least yes. a cat. Yeah, because she... If nothing yeah. else, there's a cat on the poster. Okay. It's called cat people. I'm playing. I know. This is, this is why Val some... Luton was so frustrated with it. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's a, there's, you know, there's a cat alien. There's a cat. If you're looking for jump scares, there's probably... Like pizza delivery, there's probably a lot of films that have a jump scare from a cat. Hey, that's true. You know what? Um, Disney Plus. I noticed they've got that darn cat and the cat from outer space. So both <laughs> nice. options on the table. <laughs> Aren't you glad you subscribed? Okay, so um, films with kitty kitties. Kitty kitties. I'm I'm all in. <laughs> Excellent. That's uh, your homework, guys, listeners. Um, I'm. Can't wait to see what other people have. Are we going to say then, yes, it's okay if we get a cat jump scare? Oh, yeah, I think so. We, we kind of okay. got it. Yeah. I can't has movie. Oh, God. <laughs> Isn't that a dog? Doggo? No, I can't has cheeseburger. Oh. It's cats. Oh, you're right. And yeah. I can't has cheeseburger. I uh, gotta say thanks to all the listeners who are uh, for putting up with this stupid shit that sometimes on this show and liking and sharing, uh, reviewing, doing all of the stuff. We we just can't thank you enough. Yes, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for listening, especially to next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are gonna love it. You know what? It's probably going to turn out to be an amazing episode where we're just like, oh, I forgot this movie had a cat in it. <laughs> it Eric will do his research and he'll take a movie called Cat. Okay, we're going to step back into that, are we? All right, you know, just because it's the first list doesn't mean it's the only damn movie I looked at. Okay. You might have just broken us up, Vanessa. Oh, right? no. I was going to say, you know, there's Houseu. Houseu has a lot of cats in it. <laughs> just so you know. It does, we're, right on the poster. We're going to full circle I'll, to I'll bet there's, there's probably a Stephen King mini TV miniseries that has a cat With an eye, perhaps? Well, a cat's eye, but we already oh, that's that an film. anthology, yeah, yeah. It Is has a another... cat, though. It's kind yeah. of the main character. Yeah. yeah, but we've already talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we did that for an anthology episode. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. No. I mean, so, you could talk about it, I but here. I wouldn't want to talk about it again. <laughs> right. No, no, it's fine. It's right. just a major part of my childhood. I don't care. This goodbye has lasted way too far too long. <laughs> That's true. So, all right, guys. Um, I'll, thanks to you two for coming all the way over here. I really appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. And um, I don't know if Eric has set it up yet, but exactly. we're going to be popping a little uh, button onto the website. Uh, we're not quite ready yet to do full Patreon type stuff. But just a little button that uh, will allow you to drop a couple of shekels our way so that I can pay uh, Vanessa and Eric gas money for coming all the way out here. We each have like an hour and a half to, no, an hour, between an hour and two and a half hour drive, depending. Pretty cool. But yeah. it's, but yeah, and if you decide to throw some money our way, it'd be great. Maybe we'll yeah. be able to buy a pizza or something. <gasps> Done! <laughs> Where's the pizza? I will let everybody know when that button goes live. So thanks again, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye.
Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and wherever fine podcasts are found.